Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Numbers chapter 35 and 36, uh, the children of Israel have not entered into the promised land yet. They're right at the border, basically. They're on the other side of the, of the uh, Jordan River, uh, just across from Jericho. And uh, the Lord God is giving them some instructions for when they go into the promised land. And so we've been kind of dealing with that in the last few chapters. Um, but these last two chapters, there's a couple, I don't know if you'd call them loose ends or what, but there's a couple things that have not been addressed. And so God is giving Moses some instructions for the children of Israel. One of the things that hasn't been addressed yet, the children of Israel have been given tribal land. So there's 12 sons of, of uh, Jacob, uh, the, 12 the 12 tribes of Israel. 11 of them are going to have tribal land, but there's one tribe that will not have tribal land, and that is the Levites. They're going to have cities. And so the Lord God is giving them instructions for what to do for the Levites when they enter the promised land. So he's providing for the priesthood is what he's doing in chapters 35. And then also in chapter 35, he's preserving the sanctity of the people in the land. And we'll explain that as we get to that portion of scripture. And finally, in chapter 36, there's another issue that kind of needs to be addressed. There's some tribes where uh, a, a father only had uh, daughters and no sons. Uh, Zelophehad is one of, the, one of the people, actually one of the people that is, that is uh, brought up in this chapter. And we talked about him actually a few chapters ago. But uh, his daughters, uh, so, so, you know, tribal land typically went to the firstborn son, a male. And, but now this guy doesn't have any sons, there's only daughters. So what happens? Well, if they get married, uh, then the tribal, uh, eventually that tribal land that would have been Zelophehad's, and he was from the tribe of Manasseh, I believe, if they got married to someone from the tribe of Judah, it, eventually at the year of Jubilee, it would have gone to, that property would have became part of another tribe. And God had intended for the children of Israel, to, their tribe, tribal land to remain for each tribe. And so what do we do about that? And so in chapter 36, God is protecting the inheritance of the tribe. And we'll talk about that as well as we get to that. So first of all, providing for the priesthood, and if you join me in reading, you don't have to read with me, about, or along with me, I guess is what I meant. Uh, Numbers chapter 35, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by, Jordan, by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. Uh, they shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. The common land of the cities which you will give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. And you shall measure outside the city on the east side 2,000 cubits, on the south side 2,000 cubits, and on the west side 2,000 cubits, and on the north, uh, north side, excuse me, 2,000 cubits. The city shall be in the middle. This shall belong to them as common land for the cities. Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee. And to those you shall add 30, uh, 42 cities. So all the cities you will give to the Levites shall be 48, 
These you shall give with their common land, and the cities which you will give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribe you shall give many, from the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in, propor in proportion to the inheritance that each tribe receives. So what we have here is um, instructions for what to do, and the children of Israel um, are giving, here we go, the children of Israel are given uh, instructions to give out of their tribal land uh, cities for the Levites, along with uh, fields kind of around the city, surrounding the cities. For the tribes of Israel, for each of the tribes, What's the purpose in God doing that? Well, the purpose is for the tribes of Israel, the other 11 tribes, is that they would recognize that everything that they received comes from God. It's a way for them to remind, it's a way to remind them. And it's a way for them to express thankfulness to the Lord. It's also to develop a heart for giving. If you are a selfish person, this morning, I don't think anybody here in this church is, but if you're watching online and you happen to be a selfish person, um, you know what the cure is for selfishness? To start giving. To just start giving and, and just kind of, you know, having an attitude of giving out of thankfulness to the Lord and giving uh, for ministries, giving to people that are in need and stuff, it really will cure selfishness. And so God is trying to develop into the children of Israel uh, just a, a heart of giving. He wants to do that in us, by the way. He wants to also instill in them the focus, the proper focus on possessions. You know, uh, don't hang on to things so tight because they're temporary. And so for the tribes of Israel, these, I think, are some of the reasons why God is telling each of the tribes, hey, give some of your land that I've blessed you with to the tribe of Levi, to the Levites. Now, for the Levites themselves, they're only getting cities and surrounding yard, uh, uh, like field land around where they can have gardens and you know have their cattle and stuff, basically right around the city. Uh, they're not given a separate territory like all the other tribes. They had you know geographical locations. They're not given separate territory and they're not given large swaths of land. They're just given given cities. And the little fields around, or not little, but the fields around the cities. For the, tr for the uh, tribe, the Levites, the purpose for that is for them to develop the proper focus on their purpose. Because their purpose was to minister to the Lord and to uh, minister to the people, the children of Israel. And they weren't to be striving for the things of the world. So it was to develop the proper uh, focus on their purpose. It was also to recognize that, hey, don't worry about those things. God will supply your needs. And it was also to instill the very real reality that the Lord is their inheritance. In fact, he says that several times. The, in, the children of Israel, or excuse me, the Levites, I am their inheritance. Now, you might say, well, it seems kind of unfair because, I mean, they're only given cities. And, uh, you know, like if you compare it to states, like we've got 50 states in the United States, you know, you give, uh, you know, Rochester to the Levites and the rest of the state belongs to some tribe, the tribe of the Minnesotans or whatever, you know. You say, well, that just doesn't seem fair. It seems so out of proportion. But the thing that I think is important to remember, their earthly inheritance may have been small, 
but their heavenly reward is going to be without measure. For the children of Israel, it wasn't meant to be a burden on any one of the tribes in particular. They're to give proportionally to the size of their tribe. As the Lord blessed them, they were to give proportionally what they had been blessed with. For the Levites, it wasn't a signal like, hey, Levites, you guys don't have to work, man. You're on easy street. You can just live off of the other tribes. They're going to take care of you. It wasn't for that either. They were to minister. They had work to do. They were to minister to the Lord and they were to teach the people. But here's the thing. They were freed up to focus on that and not have to worry about, hey, how am I going to feed my family and do the work of the Lord? So they were freed up. So what a blessing that was for them. Also, the fact that they were spread out throughout all the tribes of Israel is significant because God wanted the Levites to live and serve alongside the people that they were ministering to. They would be available to the people to be an influence on them. You know, the Bible says that you and I are a royal priesthood. So a lot of this stuff that we're reading, it really applies to you and I as Christians. God has strategically placed you and I in all kinds of different locations. We have, we're uh, strategically placed throughout society. Geographically, we have people that live out of town, people that live in town, people live in surrounding communities. So geographically, we're all in different places. The Lord has strategically placed us there. Socially, we are in, ge uh, in different places. Um, economically, we are in different places as well. Why? Because God wants his people spread out so we can minister to people around us. Whatever your sphere of influence is, that's what God wants you to minister to. So you might say, why am I here? Why am I in this place? You know, I want to be somewhere else. Well, just trust the Lord. God's got a plan and a purpose. Man, thrive where you're planted. Wherever you're planted, man, grow and allow the Lord. And then he might move you, but in the meantime, don't keep your eyes just focused on the other, whatever's beyond there. Focus on, Lord, how can, how can I minister where you have me right now? Because there's a reason why you're where you are. So overall, there'd be a total of 48 cities we read. Six of them are going to be cities of refuge, and we're going to be looking at that next. So the next portion of Scripture deals with preserving the sanctity of the people and the land. But before we get into that, I want to just kind of give you a little bit of a context. You'll recall if you've read the book of Genesis, the very first murder in the book of Genesis. It occurs in Genesis chapter 4. And it is when Cain killed his brother Abel. And you guys know the story. I'm sure you, I'm sure you know the story. Well, in verse 10, after Cain has already killed Abel, God confronts Cain and asks him, uh, you know, well, before that, he's, he says, basically, where's your brother? And, and Abel says, or Cain says that kind of that famous line, am I my brother's keeper? Like, how should I know? Well, this is what God says to him in Genesis 4, verse 10. He says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And as a result, Cain was cast out of the land and he was, his, the rest of his life, he was a vagabond. He was to wander the earth. That was the first murder. Prior to the flood, 
a couple chapters later in the book of Genesis, verse 11, it says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And as a result, God destroyed life on earth with a global flood, sparing only those who were on the ark with Noah. Fast forwarding hundreds, thousands of years to this portion of scripture here in Numbers, prior to entering Canaan, and we won't be studying the book of Deuteronomy, but that also takes place prior to them going into the promised land. In Deuteronomy 12, verse 31, God says to the children of Israel, uh, talking about the Canaanites, he says, you shall not worship the Lord God, your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. So the children of Israel were about to enter the promised land and God is going to use the children of Israel as instruments of his judgment against the Canaanites in a large part because of the violence of the Canaanites. And if you historically and archaeologically they've gone through and these guys were vicious, the Canaanites. They were cruel and they killed their own children. Violence and the shedding of innocent blood. I don't know if you've caught this as we've read through these. It pollutes any land, any land. And at some point known only to God, God will rise up and judge that land. You know, this recent election, uh, I don't know where you know who your candidate was that you voted for. I don't, I don't need to know. Um, but I know at one point, uh, there were Christians that actually raised this argument, and I came across it, and I, I was like, what? But their argument was that Christians shouldn't base their vote simply on one issue, abortion. There's so many other things to be concerned about that you, know, you shouldn't be a one-issue uh, voter, basically. And I heard Christians saying that to other Christians. Now, granted, biblical principle should influence every aspect of our lives, all right? I mean, well, let me put it this way. If you go through the Bible, God never destroyed a nation because of their immigration policies. Okay, God never destroyed. Now, granted, if you read through the scriptures, God has plenty to say about how to treat the stranger and the alien in the land, how to be, how to be kind and loving, how to be fair and just and not to mis mistreat them or to, or to take advantage of them. God has plenty to say about that. So those things do matter. But God's never driven out a people because of their immigration policies. God has never driven out people because of their economic policies. However, you can go through scriptures, and there's lots of scriptures that say, how are we to handle our finances? How are we to give to those in need? And so there's all these, and there's so many different things that, uh, that were issues in this last election that, that they do matter. And scriptures, there's plenty of scriptures that deal with it. But listen, God never drove out a nation for those things. God did drive out a nation and, and judge people because of the violence in the land. And the reason why I bring that up is because abortion is a very serious issue for Christians. And, and um, for many people, that was a defining issue in what they were voting for. 
Now, today happens to be Sanctity of Life Sunday. I didn't plan it that way. I just found out about it, um, that it's Sanctity of Life Sunday. We have a, a person in our church. Her name is Rose, and she's a director of uh, First Choice Clinic in, in Red Wing. And, you know, if that's something that's, you know, on your heart as far as, man, I want to get involved in pro-life causes and I want to, I want to do something, I guarantee if you talk to Rose, she'll, she'll share something. She'll be more than happy to talk to you. She's not here this morning, I guess, but for those of you that know who she is, you can contact her. Um, and it's also interesting in, in our Calvary Chapel magazine, it talks about uh, ultrasound units for the unborn, rescuing the unborn. So um, it is a big issue. It's an important issue. And uh, so if you think about it, Israel is a fledgling nation. They're just, they're just going, they're going to be going into the promised land here shortly after these, this book is finished, this letter is finished, or not a letter, this chapter, this book, I guess. <laughs> but there's no police departments. It's a brand new, I mean, they're a new nation going into a land. And so what do you do if someone is killed by someone else? And so that's what this uh, next portion of scripture addresses because God doesn't want the children of Israel to be violent and bloodthirsty the way the Canaanites were. So God lays out a system to address manslaughter, to protect the innocent, to punish the guilty, and ultimately to preserve the sanctity of the people and the land. So let's take a look at that. It's beginning in verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall, have, uh, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be the cities of refuge. These six cities uh, shall be for you refuge for the stranger of Israel. Excuse me. These six, verse 15, these six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone uh, kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets, when he meets him, he shall put him to death. If he puts him out, excuse me, if he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies or in enmity, he strikes with his hand so that he dies. The one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait, or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him, so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, 
Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled. And he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest." But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to a city of refuge that he may return to the land to dwell on the land before the death of the priest. So you shall not pollute the land where you are for blood defiles the land and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it. Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. So, if someone, in, when they enter into the promised land, if someone killed another person, it was the duty and responsibility of the family of the victim Later on, it'll be the next of kin. But in this case, it's the family of the victim to avenge the death. Because again, they didn't have police departments in Canaan. Or yeah, when they go into the promised land. This person was known as the avenger of blood. So if someone killed another person, they could flee to any one of these six cities of refuge. Um, and it's very interesting. There's a couple different passages in scriptures that talks about these cities of refuge. If you've never read about them, you can do a little Bible study on them. But from other passages about these cities of refuge, we find some other interesting things about it. First of all, they were situated throughout the land so that from any place in the, in the land of Israel, if you killed somebody, you could flee to the city of refuge within one day. They were situated so that from anywhere in the land of Israel, it was only a day's journey to reach a city of refuge. In fact, they were also even told to build roads to these refuge cities. So there was no obstacle for whoever did that. They could flee as fast so that the avenger of death didn't catch up with them. So they wouldn't be overtaken and killed by the avenger of blood. Excuse me. So they would be safe from the avenger of blood until the congregation had a chance to judge their case. Now the manslayer would be found guilty of murder and we read about the different conditions, but basically it boils down to premeditation. If you laid in wait for them and then you ambush them, you know, you're, you're laying in wait, they walk by and you push them off a cliff or down a hillside or something. Or, uh, you know, you're, you're laying in wait and they walk by and you throw a big stone at them and the, you kill them. Or you throw something at them, whatever, with the intent of killing them. Or if you strike them with a weapon, 
you know, whether it's a, a wood implement or whatever it is, and you're intending to kill him, uh, you would be a murderer. And the murderer would not be given refuge in the city of refuge. They would have to leave the city, and then the avenger of blood uh, could catch up with them, and whenever that happened, and they could kill them. Um, <clears throat> but there is some uh, stipulations for that, too. Because you could see, I mean, it'd be almost like, you know, those Charles Bronson movies, you know, where I used to love those movies. I don't care for them all that much anymore. But, you know, it used to be, the, they, they kind of get you going where, you know, this guy's a, you know, an innocent guy and he's doing all this good stuff. And then all this bad stuff comes and then he goes on a rage and he kills all these guys, you know, at the end of the movie. And you, you don't typically like violence. Hopefully none of you do. But it's like at the end, you're like, yeah, get that guy, man. Kill him. He's such an evil person. Um, well, that would help be maybe an attitude that the Avenger of Blood could have. And so, you know, you could have somebody that just, they get mad and want to kill someone um, and, and use that as an excuse. But they couldn't be put to death. The murderer couldn't be put to death on only one witness. There had to been more than one witness. So it had to be established that they had committed murder. Also an interesting thing is there wouldn't be any ransom allowed. You couldn't buy, if you were rich or powerful, you couldn't buy your freedom. And, and I think this is interesting, there's no plea bargaining. You know, we, I, I, I do not get our judicial system with plea bargaining and, and all that stuff. But verse 33 says, blood defiles the land and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it. And uh, I think that's some of these passages are where we get the concept of capital punishment. So that's if somebody murdered someone. Now, if someone ki still killed someone, but it was accidental, that was manslaying. Uh, and uh, for example, we get some examples. If they push them suddenly, now I don't know why you would push someone. Maybe you were in an argument or maybe, I don't know, whatever happened. Maybe you thought they were going to fall into something. You push them. You didn't premeditate it. You didn't have enmity. And they happened to die as a result. That was manslaying. That was not murder. If you threw something at them without laying in wait, um, I'm going to share this. My wife. So years ago in our marriage, I've never been a violent person, physically violent. Um, but one time I got so frustrated with my wife, I threw something at her. And, uh, and it was amazing. It was an empty milk carton. <laughs> I was so mad. I threw this empty milk carton. I don't even know if it hit her because it couldn't travel through the air. But at first she was like, what? And then we both just started laughing. Like, I can't believe you threw an empty milk carton. Like, you're really going to hurt me. You know, I... One time only in our marriage, we've never argued or anything since a life has just rose. Okay, never. I want to wait for lightning to strike. <laughs> Anyways, if you threw something and you didn't mean to kill them, you didn't have hatred in your heart, they would have to judge that whether you did or didn't. You would be a manslayer. You wouldn't be guilty of murder. If you threw a rock, maybe you're just chucking rocks in the air and it happens to land on someone and you kill them, that's accidental, too. You wouldn't be put to death. In Deuteronomy, it also talks about the cities of refuge, and it talks about if you're out there chopping wood and your axe head flies off your handle and hits someone and kills them, uh, you wouldn't be guilty of murder, because that was accidental. And so there's, there's these different things that the congregation would have to judge. Well, that person who accidentally killed someone, they could flee to the city of refuge and be safe from the avenger of blood. 
you know, so many aspects of the city of refuge, these cities of refuge, foreshadow the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I kind of want to take a look at that. Uh, we read earlier, Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In Hebrews 6, verse 18, we're told that Jesus Christ is our refuge that we have fled to. Now, Joshua chapter 20 is another chapter that deals with the cities of refuge, and we're actually given the names of the cities of refuge in Joshua chapter 20. And it's very interesting. If you do a study on the names of these cities, they all seem to point to Jesus. Kadesh is one of the cities. This is in John, Joshua chapter 20. Kadesh is one of the cities, and that name in Hebrew means holy place. We read in Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. One thing that I love is that you and I as believers, we can hide in Jesus's, in our Lord's holiness. We can hide in his holiness. We can find refuge in him. Another city is Shechem. Shechem means shoulder. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Shoulder refers to authority. An emblem of authority in those days would be a placing a key on someone's shoulders. Now, if you read in scriptures, there's keys for David, uh, for King David, and different passages of Scripture. But Jesus says this in Revelation. These things says he who is holy, who is he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. That's authority. And for you and I as believers, we can take refuge in the one who has authority all authority. I love that. The next city was Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Hebron. Hebron, the name means in uh, Hebrew, association. And I love what Hebrews 2 verse 11 says, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ is not afraid to call you his brother or his sister, his family. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. So we run to Jesus Christ, our refuge, and he doesn't say, who are you, man? I don't know you. Man, he accepts us. The next city is Bezer, or Bezer and that name means fortress. Jeremiah 16, verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. And I think that's speaking about the church age when the Gentiles would come to faith in Christ Jesus. But I also believe it speaks about the millennial reign of Christ on the earth. So that's Fortress, Bezer. Another city of refuge was known as Ramoth. And that name means to be high above, to be exalted. Acts 5.31, 
Him, speaking of Jesus, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And then the last city was Golan. And that means they're rejoicing. Psalm 511, but let all those who rejoice put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. And you think about that. That just speaks about Jesus Christ, our refuge as well. So some other interesting things about these cities of refuge. They had no obstacles. God told the children of Israel, pave roads, you know, make clear roads to these, to these cities so that there would be no obstacle for anyone to reach those cities. They were situated, as I said earlier, within the borders, within the, the, tri the nation of Israel, in places where within one day you could reach them to, get, to have refuge, to be safe. And you think about this, refuge for you and I in Jesus, there's no obstacles. It's only a prayer away for any one of us. There's no obstacles to reach refuge in Jesus Christ. The only obstacle is yourself, to be honest with you. You know, if you, if you dawdle, if you take your time, if you wander, man, don't do those things. Run to Jesus. In fact, that's what Scripture points out. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. You have a clear path. There's no obstacle to Jesus except for you, yourself. Another interesting fact about these cities of refuge is that they were available not only to the Jews, but to anybody that lived in the land of Israel, to the stranger and the alien. And we read in Romans 10, verses 12 through 13, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that. So once you were inside these cities of refuge, you were safe from the avenger of blood. And I love that, Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Your and my life, if you are a believer in Jesus this morning, if you have a relationship with him, is hidden with Christ in God. You are safe in your city of refuge. But there's a key here for the people in, in this passage of Scripture. Once you went to the city of refuge and they accepted you in, you had to stay there. You couldn't venture outside of the city. Um, if you did venture outside of the city, you were fair game. If you crossed paths with the avenger of blood, they could and probably would kill you, and they wouldn't be guilty of it. 1 John 2.28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before his coming. So we're to abide in Christ. Now, so the, the manslayer, if they accidentally killed someone and they were, they were innocent, they didn't premeditate, they didn't plan a murder, um, they could run to this city of refuge to seek refuge. The congregation would judge whether that was murder or not. And if it wasn't murder, they were to stay in that city and the avenger of blood couldn't access them to kill them. 
So in a sense, you might say, well, this almost sounds like jail because, I mean, they can't go back to their hometown, you know, they left their family behind and they're stuck in this city of refuge. Well, there was a time when they could finally return home and, and there's a, a provision here when the death of the high priest, so whoever was in office of the high priest at that time, when they died, that would signal that whoever was in that city, those cities of refuge, they could return home and the avenger of blood could never touch them again. They were completely free. And again, I think that points to Jesus. Hebrews 3.1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. You see, our high priest not only died for your and my sins, Man, but he's alive today, and he's a refuge to anybody that calls upon him. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't know if you're heavy laden this morning. Maybe you've got some burdens that you're carrying around this morning. And Jesus, is, he wants to be your refuge. Maybe you don't even have a relationship with him this morning. He is offering salvation. If you will just come to him by faith, put your trust in him for your salvation. So now we get to chapter 36, the very last chapter in the book of Numbers. And this chapter deals with protecting the inheritance of the tribe. We'll look at that here. Chapter 36, verse 1. Now the chief uh, fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Makur, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, and they said, The Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. Now if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers, and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers." Then Moses commanded the children of Israel, according to the word of the Lord, saying, What the tribe of the sons of Joseph speaks is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry whom they think best, but they may only marry within the families of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep their, the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. For Mala, Terza, Hagla, Milka and Noah. Now, if you're naming daughters, here's some names you can consider, right? Uh, Mala, Terza, Hagla. I don't know if that would be a good name. Milka and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to the sons of their father's brothers. 
They were married into the family of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's family. These are the commandments uh, which the Lord commanded the children of Israel by the hand of Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from the Jericho, excuse me, across from Jericho. So there is a spiritual application. So going back to, I kind of explained it a little bit earlier, uh, but for those of you that maybe just joined us, um, the tribes were separated by the 12 sons of Israel minus the tribe of, of the Levites. Um, they were given cities, as we just talked. But these other tribes were given this tribal land, and God's intent was that your tribal land would be the tribe's land throughout their history. So the situation here was that the inheritance in that culture and in that time, it went to the firstborn male. Now, if you, if you were a father and Zelophehad was one of these situations where he only had daughters, and so if the daughter married into another family, eventually, at the year of Jubilee, that family, whatever tribe they were from, the land would, be, would become that tribe's land. And so this land would shrink. And so, uh, you know, it's like, what do we do here? And so God instructs Moses to uh, allow it to remain within tribe. But the, the stipulation was the daughters had to marry within the tribe in order for the tribal land to stay uh, to, in that tribe. Um, there's a spiritual application for you and I. There are all kinds of tribes in this world, so to speak. Um, there's nationalities. We have all different nationalities. There's different races in our world. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of variety in this world. But spiritually, it all boils down to, in God's economy, two tribes on the earth. Those that are saved that have a relationship with Jesus Christ and those that are unsaved, that don't have a relationship. That's what it boils down to. It doesn't matter what nationality, what race, rich, poor, what kind of background you have. It all boils down to, are you saved or are you unsaved? And spiritually, for those of you that are saved, literally, literally marrying outside of your tribe causes all kinds of problems. And that's what Paul addresses in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen and fifteen says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And you know, as a pastor, I've seen uh, people where, you know, they, they're, they're heading into a marriage and one has a relationship with the Lord and the other doesn't. And I'm like, you guys are heading for a train wreck because eventually, eventually your worldviews are going to collide. Eventually they're going to collide. Maybe not at first, but they will eventually at some point. And typically it's when the children are born. I, I knew uh, uh, we had a friend who was married. She was a believer in the Lord and she married a Muslim man. And uh, there's a lot, there's, that's going on a lot now. Well, things seemed to be pretty good until their daughter was born, and then he wanted to raise her Muslim. In fact, he even wanted to take her back to whatever Muslim country he was from. And it created some real problems for this family. And so it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like God's trying to prevent you from having a happy marriage. God's trying to actually give you a good marriage by being married within your tribe. So literally, it applies for believers and unbelievers. Like what John Corson said, marry within your tribe or you'll lose ground. And as a pastor, I've seen that. 
But the principle goes beyond marriage and dating because we don't want to just pick on single people. It goes beyond marriage and dating. For you as a believer, be careful of your associations. Be careful who you're aligning with. You know, if you were to look in our culture, in our, at least in the United States right now, it seems like the biggest division right now is conservatives and liberals. I mean, it seems like that is the division. And you look at how the, the election went down, it's like, yeah, the, our United States seems to be split in half pretty much. That may seem like the division, but it still isn't the division. The division is still the saved and the unsaved. I want to share something with you guys, and um, some people like to get really you know, associate with conservative causes. I just want to make this statement. You can throw tomatoes at me later. But not all conservatives are Christians. So be careful who you align with. Be careful what you associate with. Because you could find yourself losing spiritual ground if you do. So we get down to verse 10 through 13. I like verse 10. Just as the Lord commanded Moses so did the daughters of Zelophehad. What a good way to end the book of Numbers. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. They just, they heard the word, they heard the command, and they did it just as it was commanded. Um, worship team, by the way, you can guys can come on up because we're about ready to wrap up the message. You know, the other day I was spending some time praying and I was uh, going through the book of Psalms. And at one point I, I was praying, I'm like, Lord, cleanse me. Lord, make me clean. And, and uh, you know, there's passages like 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the scriptures is there that support that. And I, I was praying, Lord, make me clean. Make, you know, cleanse my mind, cleanse all. And I was just asking the Lord to do all this. And all of a sudden I was reminded of Psalm 119 verses 9 through 10. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. There's something for us to do. And that is to read the Bible, read God's word, and not just to read it, but to obey it. As the Lord speaks to you, that's one thing I prayed this morning before we started the service. Lord, speak to our hearts that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. I remember a long time ago, um, before I was a pastor, my wife, we, you know, we would attend a church and you know, you, pastor would give a, a decent message and you know, get some really cool notes. It's like, man, that's some awesome points and what a good message. And you know, we talk about what a good message is. And you, know, you go home feeling, man, I feel changed because it was such a good message. Well, it might have been a good message, but the only way you change is if you apply what you, what you learn, if, you, if, if it becomes part of your life. And so that's my prayer for us this morning. Why don't we go ahead and go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the book of Numbers that we just finished studying through. Lord, for all the, the gems that we were able to uncover Lord, it's seemingly mundane ground, and yet, Lord, there's so many things in there that point to you, Jesus, that, that uh, principles that we can apply in our lives today as believers. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are our city of refuge. 
Lord, that you are the one that we can run to, our strong tower, our refuge. And Lord, I know in, in our culture right now and in, in life right now, things are, uh, are difficult for so many people, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you have provided a refuge and that, Lord, you are faithful and that anyone that runs to you, Lord, you will not turn away. All we need to do is call out to you. And Lord, there's no obstacle. Lord, you're a prayer away from any one of us. And so I thank you for being available and loving us and wanting to associate with us, Lord. We thank you and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.